the Adventists are having a VBS this week in their church, and we're excited for them to serve many kids. We did not do a VBS this summer. There was too much on my plate, but VBS is a blast. Uh, growing up, I remember one of my mom's favorite phrases was, change your attitude. Maybe you had a mom who said something similar. If I was being selfish, it was time to change my attitude. If I was complaining, it was time to change my attitude. If I was being impatient, it was time to change my attitude. And I don't know why Tony Dungy, the coach of the Colts when they won their Super Bowl in 2007, gets the credit for the quote, you can't always control your circumstances, but you can always control your attitude. Because my mom was teaching me that way before he was the coach of the Colts. But my mom and Coach Dungy were both on to something really important. In fact, it was something that Dallas Willard wrote about all the time throughout his books. In 2002, in the renovation of the heart, he wrote this. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. You really can change your attitude. You have the freedom to choose what you cause your mind to dwell upon, where you turn your thoughts. And again, Willard kept talking about this. He thought this was really important. And he gave a series of talks on Psalm 23 that posthumously were edited together to the book, Life Without Lack. And in that book, he says, the focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. Your thoughts are deeply powerful. They form your experience of life. They shape the feelings that you have. What you dwell upon in your mind really matters. It really is important. And so what are we thinking about? What are we putting our minds upon? What are we dwelling upon? Willard went on to say how the unfortunate reality is that most of us spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. We are poisoned with self-obsession. We are constantly always thinking about me, what I want, what I need, what I can get, how, how others can serve me, what I'm trying to achieve, my goal. That's, it's always about me. And, and especially when we've been wounded or offended or hurt, then we really are always thinking about ourselves, the offense that we've received, the pain that we've experienced. And when we're trapped in this cycle of self-obsession, our thoughts always dwelling upon ourselves, what can happen is we also become our own saviors. We, we, we fall into this mindset that nobody else is going to take care of me. Nobody else is going to watch out for me, so I need to care for myself. I need to, to do everything to heal these wounds I've received, to take care of my problems, to watch out for myself. And we end up alienating ourselves from God, the only one who can actually heal us who can actually save us, who can actually restore us. What we dwell upon in our minds, what we think about is deeply formative. And today in Psalm 23, we're gonna see how David got out of that cycle of self-obsession, how he turned his mind away from himself and put it upon the Lord, his shepherd. We've been in the Psalms all summer long. We've been reminding ourselves that the Psalms were the original prayer book of the church. They were the original prayer book of Jesus. And so we, when we pray the Psalms, when we make the Psalms our prayers, our devotional life is freed up to love God, to serve God, to obey God as we ought. And we're gonna see this morning in Psalm 23, how when we make this our prayer, we really begin to experience the life without lack that David describes. We really see how our experience of life is transformed when we put our thoughts on our God who cares for us. 
So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 23. We're going to see three things in our text this morning. First, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. Second, because the Lord is with me, I'm not overcome by my fears. And third, because the Lord pursues me, my life is characterized by abundance. And again, I've been encouraging you all summer long to memorize the Psalms that I'm preaching, how powerful memorization is, that it can really transform your mind, that it can really capture your thoughts and change you. And Dallas Willard again, completely agreed. This is what he said about memorizing Psalm 23. Memorization is an essential element of a life without lack. It is a primary way we fill our minds with the word of God and have our thoughts formed by God's thoughts. Memorizing scripture is even more important than a daily quiet time. For as we fill our minds with great passages and have them readily available for our meditation, quiet time takes over the entirety of our lives. Memorization enables us to keep God and his truth constantly before our minds, allowing his word and wisdom to help us. And so I encourage you again, take some time this week, memorize Psalm 23. Perhaps the easiest Psalm to memorize, it's so familiar to most of us. And so here's Psalm 23 from the ESV. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. <laughs> my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in your house forever. It's not about perfection. It's about getting the word of God in your mind, on your heart, seeing how it can transform you. But when we read this psalm, the first thing that sticks out to us is if the Lord is your shepherd, you have no lack. Now, it's a big assumption. If the Lord is your shepherd, is the Lord your shepherd? We come to David, the, the author of our psalm, and we could be kind of critical. We could say, David, you are the king of Israel. How can you say you didn't experience any lack? You are the king. You had armies, you had chariots, you had servants, you had vast lands and animals and uh, everything you could possibly want, wealth beyond imagination, children all over the place. You had security for future generations. How could you ever say you didn't have lack? But David doesn't look at any of that. David doesn't say, God, because you made me king, I'm without lack. David doesn't say, God, because you have richly supplied me with armies and servants and, and animals, I'm without lack. He's not talking about any of his circumstances. He's not talking about his role as king. He's just talking about his relationship with God. Why does he not experience lack? Because the Lord is his shepherd. That's why. And so again, that, that raises an important question for us. Is the Lord our shepherd? Are we in his care? Am I fundamentally a person who cares for himself or am I a person who is cared for by another? Do you care for yourself or does God care for you? 
You see, we are Americans, and so we are radically committed to our independence, to our freedom. We are all about self-reliance. Shoot, I won't even borrow the tools from the neighbor next door. I got to go buy my own so I don't have to ask for help. We are radically independent, constantly emphasizing how much we can do it ourselves, how we need to to go earn it, achieve it, conquer it, go out into the the great frontier and make our way. And that is completely antithetical to the message of the scriptures, that you actually need to be not independent, but dependent. You need to be like a child, a dependent who trusts on the Lord. Every year I have the opportunity to walk with teenagers who turn 18, who enter young adulthood. And without a doubt, one of the greatest perks of becoming an adult is the freedom, the independence, that you can go where you want, do what you want, be with who you want. Those are all wonderful things, but that's not the most important thing. Are these young adults reminding themselves to always be independence? Not independent, but in dependence to God, under his care and his leadership. And I think the reality is most of us have a lifetime of experience trying to be independent, a lifetime of experience holding on to the reins, a lifetime of experience trying to control all of our outcomes. And so we don't know how to be dependent. And so we actually experience lack. We experience having not enough because ultimately we, we view ourselves as, as the ones who care for us. Nobody else cares for me. Again, it's that, those self-obsessed thoughts, I care for me. And it's only when we let God be the one who cares for us, God, the one who fathers us, God, the one who shepherds us, that we experience a life without lack. When you let God care for you, you let go of controlling your kingdom, you will experience what David describes. A life where God cares for every area of your life. You're like a sheep who walks through green pastures and lies down. What kind of sheep lies down in green pastures? One that's fed, one that's satisfied, that has no need for anything else. You will feel like a sheep going beside still waters. Your thirst is quenched. You are refreshed. Then David says, God restores his soul. That word in Hebrew, shuv, means to turn or to turn around. It's like the Old Testament equivalent for the Greek New Testament word metanoia, which is where we get repentance. God turns our life around. He puts our life back in order after it's been disordered. He cares for us deeply. And finally, he leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us to do good. He leads us to what we actually need, his holiness, his goodness. That's where he leads us. And so if God is our shepherd, then every area of my life is cared for. I'm cared for physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually even. He cares for my good. And so I have a question for you. Where are you setting your thoughts? Where does your mind dwell? Because like I said in our introduction, we have this this poison of self-obsession. And if we're constantly putting our thoughts on ourself, it's no wonder that we experience lack, that we constantly feel like there's not enough. And the temptation is either to really directly look at myself or to look at my circumstances. And if I look really directly at myself, well, then at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. 
Everything is on my shoulders. I need to achieve and earn and win the bread if my family is going to survive. If I am going to be taken care of, I need to do it. And there's this temptation to always put the stress on yourself. Megan and I have had this conversation many times about when she was a server, she would tell herself, well, I can always take another shift. I can always wait more tables. And now that she's a therapist, she can always grow her caseload, see more clients. And that's not because we're really content in the Lord. That's out of anxiety, this fear of not enoughness. And many of you know that experience. You own your own business or you've got a side hustle. You have this opportunity where if you just put in more hours at the office, if you just Put, take on another project, you can feel more secure. And I think for many of us, the money isn't it. It's this deep insecurity because we don't feel like we're cared for because we're not looking to God to care for us. We're looking to ourselves. And then the alternate is also true. Maybe you're not obsessed with your, yourself, with your own ability to provide. Maybe you're obsessed with the difficulties of your circumstances. You find that this big bill has come in the mail. There was that hospital visit you got to pay for. There's that illness with a family member that you might not be the one who has to take care of them. There's some kind of emergency, some kind of big issue coming, and you feel like there's not enough. There's not enough. God doesn't care for me. Where is he in the midst of all this? And believe me, I am susceptible to the same kind of anxieties and fears. This winter, we had our furnace go out and the same week had to get major repairs on our car. And I was not really holy and just trusting God. My initial reaction was to be so consumed with my circumstances, so worried about what's going on and not to be reminding myself, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm in his care. And so if my eyes are on myself, I'm either overwhelmed with stress because it's all on me or I'm overwhelmed with anxiety because my circumstances are overwhelming me. But if my eyes are on Jesus, the good shepherd, then I experience peace. In our gospel reading, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I came to lay my life down for the sheep. He cares for us. He loves us. Immediately before that reading, he says, I come to bring life and life abundantly. Jesus did not come to be stingy with us. Jesus did not come to let us feel like we are always fearful, always looking for our next piece of bread. Instead, he asks us to simply trust him. He says in his Sermon on the Mount, that, if we, that we are like uh, little children that God cares for. And, and we look around, if we see that the lilies of the field are beautifully dressed, the, the birds of the heavens are fed and cared for, and they don't toil, and yet we are far more valuable to God than birds. We are his children. If we simply look to him, look to his kingdom, all these other things will be added to us. So where are you setting your eyes? Are you reminding yourself that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he laid down his life for you. If your eyes are on him, you will know that peace I am cared for. My son Orson turns two tomorrow and he doesn't want for anything. Not because I have infinite resources, uh, not because uh, I am, you know, so able to give him anything he could ever dream of, but because he's just a little child who trusts his parents. He just knows mom and dad love me, so of course I'm going to be taken care of. He does not live with any lack. Are you like a little child? 
Or are you constantly viewing yourself as an independent adult? I've got to go my own way, make my own way, do it in my own power. Jesus invites you to be a little sheep in his care. Look back at the text one more time, verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The first thing we see in Psalm 23 is if the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. And the second thing we see is if the Lord is with me, I'm not overcome by my fears. It was Calvin's commentary that first opened my eyes to the fact that David actually is afraid. He says, I will fear no evil. But then he also says, your rod and your staff comfort me. If he's in need of comfort, clearly he, he is afraid. And so what he means by I will fear no evil is not, hey, if you trust God, you should never be afraid. That's not what he means. Of course, you're gonna be afraid sometimes. Of course, you're gonna be worried. You're gonna be anxious. But what he's saying is in the midst of your fears, you always have a greater hope. You always have reason to experience peace and comfort because God is with you. That's what he's saying. And so again, he returns to this imagery of shepherding. The Lord is his shepherd who leads him through the dark valley. Sometimes shepherds would have to take their sheep through dark valleys where there would be predators, where it would be a dangerous place and the Lord is still with you. He's with you in that dark valley and his, his rod is the tool that he would use to ward off predators. It's his tool to defend you. It's this idea that God protects you from danger. He protects you from the enemy. And then his staff is the shepherd's crook we often think of when we think of this shepherd scene. It really is the tool used to push and prod and pull a sheep back on the right path. It represents God's correction and discipline. And this too is comforting. Because when we're disciplined, it means we're cared for. It means we're loved. And when we're disciplined, we're able to go where we truly want to go and can't go in our own wisdom, our own power. And so David is reminded that the Lord is his shepherd who's with him in dark places, in those scary places, in those fearful places, but he protects me. He corrects me. He disciplines me because he loves me. He is near to me. And we have a far greater hope than David. David can say, the Lord is with me, but we know the Lord is with me in a far deeper way. The son of God became man in Jesus Christ that he might be Emmanuel, God with us. He became like us in our humanity and he didn't stop there. He became like us in our suffering and death. In fact, he took our suffering and death upon himself so that we might be ultimately protected from it. So that he might save us from the ultimate danger of eternal death, of separation from God, and instead bring us into his resurrection life. And on the cross, Jesus also corrects us. He disciplines us. He dispels any notion of the insignificance of sin. He shows us just how grave, how weighty sin is that the son of God himself had to die to pay the price that we would be forgiven. And so on the cross, we see we have a good shepherd who came to be near to us, who came so near to us that he made our dark valleys his. I've quoted this poem before from Edward Shalito, Jesus of the Scars, but it's a reminder of how near Jesus is with us in our suffering, in our pain, in the valley of the shadow of death. The other gods were strong, 
but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. You see how near Jesus has come to you? That he would become one of us, he would become human, and he would suffer on the cross to make our suffering his. There is no dark valley that you ever walk through that you are alone in. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is always with you. He has ultimately protected you. He disciplines, corrects, guides you. He is with you, loving you, supporting you. So again, where are you setting your eyes? Are you setting your eyes on those things that make you afraid? Maybe it's part of that list of, of what it means to experience lack in your life. You're afraid of that bill. You're afraid of what's going on in your business. You're afraid of that health issue with your family member. You're afraid of something. Are you setting your thoughts constantly upon your fears? Or are you setting your thoughts upon the good shepherd who's with you? The good shepherd who is Emmanuel, God with us who came so near as to make your darkness his and to protect you from it. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look back at the text one more time, verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first thing we see in our Psalm this morning is if the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. The second thing we see in our Psalm this morning is if the Lord is with me, I'm not overcome by my fears. And finally, we see if the Lord pursues me, my life is characterized by abundance. These last couple of verses can sometimes cause us to stumble a little bit. They feel a little out of place. We've just been, you know, in this beautiful pastoral uh, scene with a grassy hillside. And all of a sudden there's a table before us. We're in a new context and it's before the presence of our enemies. And we're wondering, that seems kind of rude. Does that kind of go against the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament to love our enemies? And we're just getting caught up in the wrong things. A scene shift was made in verse three. We went from that pastoral scene, the grassy hillside to the valley of the shadow of death. And verse five continues that idea. There are enemies in pursuit of David. He is in danger. He knows what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He ran from Saul for years who wanted to kill him. He uh, fought many wars against Israel's enemies. He fought Goliath. And then at, towards the end of his life, he had to flee from his son Absalom who started a coup, a rebellion against him. David knew danger. He had real enemies, but his life wasn't defined by the evil, the destruction that his enemies wanted to bring on his head. Instead, his life was characterized by a table with the Lord. His life was characterized by overflowing wine. His life was characterized by being anointed with oil. Why is that the case? How did David experience this life of abundance despite all the hardships, all the pains, all the enemies that he had? And how can that be our experience? It's because God pursues you even more. David had enemies that pursued him, that hunted him down, but God pursued him with even greater might. You see that word follow 
Radaf in Hebrew actually means to pursue, to hunt, to chase down. It is God's goodness and love that pursues you, that chases you down, that hunts you. Whereas David's enemies were chased by swords and, and spears and bow and arrow, David is being chased by the Lord with his love, by his mercy, by his goodness. Do you hear that? The Lord loves you and he pursues you far more than any evil in your life. He pursues you with far more passion and love than any enemy, any disaster, any fear, any hardship you're experiencing. That is the greater truth. And so David, who knew what it was like to suffer and to have enemies and to face war and difficulty, his life was characterized by abundance. His, his, this table before him is a symbol of the Lord bringing him into his hospitality, bringing him into his presence, dwelling near to him like a close friend. I remember a few years ago, I had a friend of mine who really rebuked me, really challenged me for being a bad friend for not pursuing him. Our, our friendship was entirely one-sided. And so we would only ever spend time together if he reached out to me. And then if, if he didn't reach out, I would never reciprocate. And sadly, I hadn't even noticed the pattern. And so he, he woke me up to the fact that I was being a terrible friend. I didn't pursue him. And thank God, God's not a friend like that. God is not the friend who forgets about you when you forget about him. God pursues you no matter what. God pursues you no matter how long you've been going the opposite direction. God really is like the parables of Luke 15. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep, pursuing it with love to bring it home. He really is like the father of the prodigal son story who sees his son coming home while he's still a long way off. He had just been out in rebellion and sin and the father runs to him, throws his arms around him, embraces him with love and throws him a feast to honor him, to welcome him home. These are the images that are evoked from what David says, the Lord prepares a table before me. He brings me into his friendship. He brings me near. He anoints my head with oil. He cleanses me. He honors me. He welcomes me. My cup overflows. He doesn't just give a little to me. He gives me overflowing kindness and goodness, abundant goodness. And so again, I ask you, where are you setting your eyes? If you're setting your eyes on your fears, on your enemies, on your hardships, of course, it feels like you have a lot of lack in your life. There's not enough. But if you're setting your eyes on Jesus, on the one who pursues you with his love, well, then you will feel that you have abundance. You will notice just how much he has actually given to you. This morning, we have a baptism Judah is going to get baptized. And one of the symbols of baptism is a pursuit and a claim. And if you come from a believer Baptist background, then often what you think of is a, a person making a decision to follow Jesus. They say, I have pursued God and I found him in Jesus Christ. And I'm making a claim to be his disciple. And that's good. 
That's wonderful and important, and it's not the primary image of baptism. The primary image of the sacrament of baptism is that God has pursued you. That God became human so that he might take your sin, your shame upon himself and take it away. That he died on the cross and rose from the grave victorious that you might have new life. He pursued you with his goodness and his love that he might stake a claim on you that the father might say, that is my beloved son. That is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is the primary image of baptism. And so when you remember your baptism, when you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you dip your fingers in the water by the door and you give yourself the sign of the cross on your forehead, you are reminding yourself that you have a good shepherd who pursued you that you have a good shepherd who cares for every area of your life. You have no lack. You have a good shepherd who came near to you in the valley of the shadow of death to protect you from death itself. You have a good shepherd that abundantly gives you everything your heart desires. He has staked a claim upon you. You are his beloved child. Trinity, where are you setting your thoughts? What is your mind dwelling upon? Turn your thoughts away from yourself, away from what you can do, away from your power to solve all the pains and the problems, away from your circumstances, away from your fears. Turn your thoughts to Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He has pursued you with his love. He has staked his claim upon you. In a few moments, we're gonna say over Judah, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. If you have been baptized, you are marked as Christ's own forever. He is your good shepherd. Turn your thoughts to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity this morning to baptize Judah. And we pray that in seeing Judah's baptism, we would be deeply reminded of your incredible pursuit of us. That while we were still enemies, you died for us. While we were wandering in our sin, in our darkness, dead in our trespasses, you came in your mercy to bring us into new life. And so Lord, when we feel full of lack scarcity, not enough. Would you please help us, God, to turn our eyes away from ourselves and to put them on your son, Jesus. In him, we have more than enough. We have all we need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.